right. What a, what a great thing we have going on among our children. And uh, you got to see so much of it today. And uh, right now you're going to get to hear one of our blue flames, Forrest Dockery. He's a fifth grader at Forest Avenue uh, Magnet School, and he is going to begin our sermon today. So come on up here, Forrest. You guys make him feel at home, all right? Good morning. Have you ever felt like you've been pulling against God? Like he's directing you one way, but you want to go the other? It reminds me of a story that happened long ago. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach to the people there because they were wicked. But he went the exact opposite direction. Boy, did he get himself into a mess. The title of my speech is called Get On Board With God. Recently, I had the opportunity to go on a fishing trip with my family. We fished for sailfish way out in the ocean. People call it deep sea fishing. It made me think of a few things relating to my relationship with God. In Hebrews 11:6, it says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. I like to think of the fisherman in the fishing pole as God. The line represents what God uses to draw us close to him. Things like church, prayer, Christian music, friends, and even trial. You and I are the fish trying to fight for freedom and get away from the boat. As bad as it might sound, you and I often fight God as he is drawing us near to him. The ocean, on the other hand, is the worldly distractions that separate us from God. However, when we decide to get on board with God, we are promised many great things. Isaiah 49, 4 states, But I myself said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in futility. Yet my vindication is with the Lord, and my reward is with God. God rewards us with the following blessings. He promises to help us not be afraid in Psalms 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. To supply our needs in Matthew 6, 31 through 34. Therefore, do not worry by saying, What shall we drink, what shall we eat, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. And your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, and these things shall be supplied to you daily. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. And finally, he promises to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in John 1, 4. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As you see, based on all these Bible verses, God promises us many wonderful things. Just like Jonah, we see when we fight against God, it is a losing situation, no matter what. But once we get on board with God, we are victorious and filled with his blessings and provisions. So today, I would like to challenge you to stop fighting and get on board with God. Amen. Good job, man. What a great message, you know. And as we watch these kids, there's, there's so much this morning that excites me. You see all these children coming on this stage and all of them participating. It, it makes us feel so good about the future of the church and the future of God's kingdom. And yet there are certain things this morning as we, we gather that also frighten us. We, we see what's going on in our culture, and we know statistically that of all the children that um, come through church, that by the time they reach 18 to 29, only 43% of them are still going to church. 
And that the fastest growing religious group in America today, according to pollsters, is the, the group we call the nuns, who really have no affiliation. And that's why as a, a church, we pull together. It's a community effort to raise our children. I love the story I heard the other day about Peter Arnett. He works with CNN News. He covers the Middle East. He was in a very dangerous part of the Middle East when a bomb went off and a little girl was severely injured. She, a man immediately scooped her up and was taking her to the hospital. And Peter Arnett followed them to the hospital. He waited in the waiting room with this man until the doctor came out and said, Sir, I'm, I'm so sorry. We weren't able to save her. And then Peter Arnett turned to this stranger, this man, and said, I'm so sorry. I've never had a child, so I, I don't know what to say. And then the man turned to Arnett and said, Oh, I'm not her father. I'm an Israeli settler. This child is Palestinian. When it all boils boils down, we are one. And guys, when it all boils down this morning, we're one. When it comes to these children that we are seeing, that we're seeking to raise in the Lord, it's a it's a community, it's a church-wide effort. And that's what's going on in the chapter we're going to be studying from this morning, Acts chapter 8. The gospel is spreading. The church has been scattered. And the message that God wants to communicate is that we're one. And the first place they go is Samaria. Samaria is a a terrible place for a Jewish organization to go because it's a bunch of half-breeds that the Jewish people literally despised. And as they go to Samaria, we're going to count a man who I think will help us face-to-face see the greatest threat to our children remaining a part of God's kingdom. And and the great threat is not going to be the things we happen to see going on in our government and going on in our culture. It's the things that can happen among us. Here's who we're going to meet this morning rather quickly. We're going to meet Simon the Sorcerer. Now, you probably know Simon's profession. Simon is a magician. Now, when we think of magic, we don't quite understand the depth of what a magician was in the first century. A magician was a person who claimed he could control the gods by various forms of sorcery. So so the, the claim that Simon would have that he could do certain things or cause you to do certain things that would allow you to control what God did. For, for instance, he might give you a charm that you could wear that would make the little girl down the street decide that she would fall in love with you. Or there were, there were certain sorcerers that would give you certain things to eat like garlic and onion. And if you ate those, that was supposed to make your girlfriend come to you. Sounds sort of counterproductive to us today, but that's sort of the way magicians work in that day. And so we see Simon and we see him in Samaria. This is the first place outside of Judea that the gospel reach. And there's this preacher named Philip who's preaching. And he's doing incredible miracles. And all these people are coming to the Lord. Including, the Bible's surprised to tell us, Simon the sorcerer believes and he's baptized. Now, Simon was quite amazing in what he could do. The people in the community called him the great one of God. 
because it did appear that he had the magical powers to control God. He even told everyone that he was great. Can you imagine how would you do that before Facebook? But somehow he's able to tell everybody that he's great and he's baptized and he sees Philip with all these amazing powers and he stalks him. And then we see something quite unusual in Acts chapter 8. They've been baptized, but the people of Samaria have not received the Holy Spirit. And remember back in Acts chapter 2, you received the Holy Spirit baptism. But there seems to be a transition period going on in the church. And so the apostles are sent from Jerusalem to Samaria to lay hands on them and to give them the Holy Spirit. They're given the Holy Spirit after they're baptized, like Cornelius is given the Holy Spirit before he's baptized. It seems to me it's part of this transition that with the gospel going to Samaria, there'd be a lot of Jewish Christians that would question this. And so God has it set up where the apostles have to go and to confirm this and establish this as being true. And when they laid their hands on these people, they could do all kinds of amazing things. And Simon the magician sees it. I want you to hear what happens in Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read you from the message because it's, it's so vivid this morning. The message, chapter 8, verse 18. When Simon saw that the apostles, by merely laying on hands, confirmed the Spirit, he pulled out his money, excited and said, Sell me your secret. Show me how you did that. How much do you want? You name your price. Peter said, to hell with your money, and you along with it. Why, that's unthinkable, trying to buy God's gift. You'll never be a part of what God is doing by striking bargains and offering bribes. Change your ways, and now, ask the master to forgive you for trying to use God to make money. I can see this is an old habit with you. You reek with money lust. Oh, said Simon, pray for me. Pray for the master that nothing like that will never will ever happen to me. That's quite a scene here that happens. You see, here's Simon's question when he comes to Christ. What can I get out of it? Simon wants to continue in his old ways where he would have the power to control God to do what he wanted God to do. Now, let's be honest. Many of us, when we come to God, we struggle with some of the same things. God, what, what could you do for me? Lord, what will I get out of following you? And if we're really honest, most of us are the beginning of our walk with Christ. We come to Christ because we don't want to go to where? Or we do want to go to? Or we want God to bless us with abundant life. And so most of us do start off trying to see what God can do for us. But that's not the challenge of Christianity. The challenge of Christianity is for me to surrender to God. It's not for me to try to get God to do what I want Him to do. It's for God to be able to get me to do what He wants me to do. That's what maturity is. As you grow past, God, what do you do for me? To the point where you say to God, God, what can I do for you? Now, there's a modern name for this, and here's what it's called. It's called consumer Christianity. What it does, it purports us to be consumers of Christ. Or we come to church and we follow God to see what we can get, not what we can give. Listen to this quotation about consumer Christianity. In consumer Christianity, our concern is not primarily 
whether people are transitioning to reflect the countercultural values of God's kingdom, but rather they are, are they satisfied? Burger King summed it up maybe more succinctly. Christianity becomes about having it your way. And many of us buy into this, that God exists to meet our needs. This was on display vividly in an NFL game this past year. There was a receiver, a quote-unquote Christian receiver, who dropped a pass that would have been a game-winning touchdown. And here's what he ranted on Twitter. God, I praise you 24-7. And this is what you do for me? You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this, God. God, I serve you. How in the world could you let me drop that pass? Now, most of ours is not quite that vivid, but we still have this idea of, God, I'll serve you until you don't do what I think you ought to do. Until you don't save that relative mine, until you don't heal that disease, until you don't cure my financial struggles, until I don't get that job, I'm okay. But once those things don't happen, I'm in trouble with you. So today we want to confront consumer Christianity. Because if we confront consumer Christianity, I will tell you by the end of this message, we will be able to help our children stay in the Christian faith and make it to heaven. So, let me give you a couple pictures real quickly to help us confront this. Are we raising our children on a battleship or a cruise ship? You see, well, how are we raising them? You know, there weren't cruise ships until over, about a century ago. You know, you know what started cruise ships? But before the airplane, everybody would go across the Atlantic or Pacific on a, a ship. And the, the purpose of the ship was simply to get you to point A and point B. But then when a, an airplane could fly over what was now simply called the Big Pond, there was no longer a need for these ships to transport people. And so some entrepreneur had the brilliant idea of taking these old ships and putting a movie theater in it and a skating rink and all kinds of entertainment. And now... What used to take someone to a destination became the destination. I just want to be on the cruise ship and eat as much as I could eat and be as entertained as much as I could entertain. That's the destination. And that's what happens to Christianity when it becomes consumer Christianity. Instead of serving God, being what helps me get from A to B, that leads me to a destination of being a part of the coming of the kingdom of God and the restoration of God's work on this earth, Christianity begins to simply be my cruise ship. It's the place that entertains me. It's the place that meets my needs. And so it becomes more simply a place for me to be instead of a place for me to serve. And my friends, if we're raising our children with this kind of mentality, is, you know, I'll go to this church and I'll do this as long as it meets my needs then we may be raising them to be on a cruise ship instead of a, on a battleship. Because the, the goal is for, for us to raise an army together that will win this world for Christ. Another picture we might want to look at is, are we raising our children 
to participate in a revolution or to shop at the home shopping network? Is it just okay? Well, well, I come to God and I can get this and this and this and this and I can get it at a discount price. Or do I come to God to be a part of a revolution that's changing the world? Are we raising revolutionaries? People that live in a way where our lifestyle is different than the lifestyle of people in the world. Our priorities are different. Our message is countercultural. It doesn't mean, my friends, that we're just different on social issues than the people in the world. It means that our lives actually have a revolutionary nature that is counter to the selfish desires of the world. So two good pictures there. As we as a church think about all being in this together. Do our children come here and encounter a battleship or a cruise ship? Do they encounter a revolution or just the home shopping network? You see, let me give you the dangers real quickly. Here are the dangers of us practicing consumer Christianity as families and as a church and what it might do to our children. Write these down. First of all, here's one danger. They will just follow our model. If we're not careful, they may just do what we do. They go to church, they participate in the kingdom of God with the idea of what are you going to do for me? You walk in here today thinking, who's going to speak to me? Well, how good's the worship going to be? How good's the message going to be? Are my children going to be taken care of the way I want them to be? What are you going to do for me? Here's one big danger is our children will go, that's what Christianity looks like. And so they're just going to model it. But then on the other hand, I think the greatest dangers is that they'll just walk away from it. They will walk away from it. That's what happens in our culture today. When you enter a friendship, a marriage, or even a church simply saying, what do you do for me? Then the moment the marriage doesn't meet your needs, the moment the friendship doesn't float your boat, the moment the church doesn't excite you, what we all do in the culture we live in today, no wonder commitment's such an issue, is we just walk away. And so I think number two is they will simply walk away disappointed. They'll just walk away disappointed. Because if we're teaching them, you serve God and everything's going to go your way. Here's almost the way we, we communicate. You serve God and your finances are going to be good. And you're never going to be down and your teeth are going to be white. And you grow up and you're bankrupt and depressed and your teeth are yellow. <laughs> you end up being extremely disappointed. And then people walk away. Because we've not caused them to be a part of something that's full of sacrifice and change. Or they may walk away, number three, because of persecution. Let's don't fool ourselves. It is coming. We live in a culture that is changing very quickly on us. It is becoming more and more non-Christian. Here is the good news. The good news is that Christianity has always thrived more as a minority than a majority. The places where Christianity has gotten into power is normally the places where Christianity has gotten into trouble. And so this may not all be bad. 
because it's, it's out of being in power and being the popular thing. And many of us remember the day where it was good for your business or good for your career that you were part of a local church. And so what that produced was a lot of consumer Christians who came to church for what it could do for them, maybe even financially. And that was dangerous. It, it, it produced this consumer Christianity that we find ourselves in today that is so dangerous to our children and to our grandchildren and to the children of this church. Because as it changes now and the persecution comes and it won't help your business to be a part of the church and you might actually lose your job because you profess Christianity and you'll probably be looked down upon because you claim that Jesus is the exclusive way to God and we've raised children to expect, well, if you follow God, everything can fall in place and everything can go your way. Well, then here's the temptation. The temptation is that they will quit because of that persecution. And number four, they may walk away because it's just simply not worthwhile. Because Christianity is a call to a radical lifestyle of service and sacrifice. And if they show up in our church and it's just a cruise ship to entertain, in the long run, let's be honest, we can't compete with the world. If what we're trying to establish is just keeping things safe and the status quo and there's really no difference in us and the people of the world, except that we go to church more than they do and our moral views might be a little stricter than theirs. Can I ask you this question? You think that can keep your children and grandchildren a part of this? No. No. They're not going to be willing to sacrifice their life and step out of line and be persecuted if all we are is just a a nice cruise ship. That's not going to cause them to be faithful and to hang in there and to serve. It's when we call them to a standard higher than the world. When we call them to live a life that's more meaningful than anything the world. It's not when we try to come in and match the world. It's when we call our children, our grandchildren to a standard and to a lifestyle that is so radically different from the world that it would cause them to give their lives. Now some of us are afraid because we've, we've seen our children and our grandchildren walk away from Christianity. I'm sure I'm talking to many here that, that this fear is not just a fear, this is a, a reality. And, and let, me, let me say to you, it's, guys, it's never too late. It's never too late for you and I to catch fire in such a way that even your children who've grown up and have left your home or your grandchildren they are growing up right now would look at their grandparents and go, whoa, there's something so different about them. There's something about their lifestyle that's so inviting, it's so sacrificial, it's so loving, it's so giving, it's so accepting. I mean, I would be drawn back or I'd be drawn to that. 
Maybe I lost the, left the church of my childhood because it was so lukewarm and so mellow and so nothing that I wasn't going to sacrifice my life just to go to church on Sunday mornings. But I'm telling you, you call me to something bigger and better and higher and more godly and more full of Christ and a radical call to discipleship in Jesus. I'll give my life to that. And so what I'm saying to you and I'm saying to me this morning is, guys, if we want to keep these children that have crowded this stage, if you want your children and grandchildren to be faithful to this, then you have got to become a revolutionary. There's got to be something about my life and your life that is counter-cultural, that is truly radical, something so different that they know they can't go anywhere else and get it. It's only found in Christ. So I ask you as we close this message, are you a consumer Christian or a contributor? Let's get real specific. In this church, are you a consumer her contributor. You see, like, let's be honest, even like when you first become a Christian, you normally become a Christian because you're drawn to what Jesus can do for you. I think that's okay. But that's not where God wants to leave you. God wants to mature you, and he wants you eventually that the goal of your life is not simply to avoid hell and go to heaven, but the goal of your life is to be Christ-like and to live in that kind of sacrificial manner for your life to reflect Jesus. That's, that's maturity. And let's be honest, most of us choose a church because of what it can do for us. We go there and their worship's exciting, or we love the preaching, or what they do for my children is incredible, or, or what they provide for my age group is really, really okay, that, that's okay, that's a place you might start, but that's never the place that God would want you to stop. It's got to change from, well, what does Landmark do for me? to what can I do for the body of Christ? To me coming here and just going, okay, I'm sitting back, let me watch. Is it going to be good today or not? Are my children going to be well taken care of? I'm not there to go back there and take care of any children, but I hope you take good care of my children. I mean, it, it's, it, it, if it becomes that, Lord, where we just are here and we're just consumers, guys, there's always going to be a better cruise ship that comes down the line. There's always going to be a better version. And here's what you're going to do, is you're going to spend your life looking for someone else to make you happy. And I don't know if you found that in your marriage, you found that in your friendship, or you found that in church, but that just never works. It never works when you enter any relationship thinking, what are people going to do for me? It only works when you finally enter relationships going, you know what, I don't care what they do for me. What I care is what I can do for them. And church is going to be the same way. You see, here's the ironic thing about this message is consumer Christianity looks like that's what would make me happy if I can finally find a cruise ship that meets all of my needs and has every game that I want. I can finally be okay. The ironic thing is you're miserable. Once you get what you want, it will never be enough. You'll always be searching for somebody else or some church else that could do something for you. It's ironic that that's the miserable place. And it's beautifully ironic that the, the place of joy is the place of giving. It's the place of serving. 
It's when you walk in this church, you say, guys, I, I, no longer am I just going to be a consumer. Would you tell me where I can work? Will you tell me what I can, where I can serve? You can tell me what I can do to help somebody else? Jesus says, when you, when you lose your life, crazy thing happens, you find your life. You see, here, here's, here's the, the scary thing about Simon, and we, we don't really know what happens into this story. The scary thing about Simon is we don't know if he ever really turned around or not. And, and, and here's the thing about Simon, is that Simon was going to miss out on the kingdom of God. And here's the scary thing about us in consumer Christianity is not only is it going to mess our children and grandchildren up, guaranteed, but it's also going to mess us up in that we will all miss out on the kingdom of God. You know what's going on in the church in Samaria? I mean, people were coming together, races were coming together that would have never been together outside the kingdom of God. Miracles were happening that only could be attributed to God. People's relationship with God was being changed and they were being forgiven and they were being filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the kingdom of God was coming in power. But Simon was going to miss it because he only wanted what it gave him. And guys, here's what I want to tell you and tell me. Don't miss the kingdom of God. All the rules are different. It's counterintuitive to say, I'm going to get by giving. I'm going to live by dying. But it's the most truthful thing you've heard this week, is that's the way you live. And so this morning, we're about to sing, if you're ready to follow Jesus in this radical, revolutionary lifestyle, won't you come? If you're tired of simply being a consumer, if in your relationships right now you're miserable because you're waiting on what somebody else is going to do for you, and even in this church, maybe you're waiting and something's not going the way you expected it to go, and and today you're saying, you know what, I'm not going to be a consumer anymore. I want to be a contributor. I want to experience the coming of the kingdom of God in power. Then why don't you come to this front row right now while we stand and sing?